going to talk about giving thanks today. You know, every year Americans talk a lot about Thanksgiving. I think we forget this is not this is not a worldwide holiday. You know, this is an American holiday. It's a, it's a national holiday. Uh, for a lot of people, it's it's various things. Um, we're not we're not going to do a show of hands today, but for a lot of people, it's just oh, this is a short work week, <laughs> and they're like, yes, you know. For a lot of folks, it's just one of many family gatherings that happens toward the end of the year. Uh, for some folks, it's a time to eat a lot. They're going to watch some football. They're going to sleep away the afternoon while they send all the cousin kids outside to play in the yard. And there will be a lot of yelling about put your jacket on because it's now cold, apparently. So, you know, when I was a kid, um, schools still did plays with pilgrims and Indians and cornucopias and turkeys and you know, we usually had to learn some weird song, you know, something about Thanksgiving and, and pilgrims and all that stuff. And, and, you know, and then parents had to try to figure out how to go. When you homeschool, you forget a lot of that stuff. I just want you to know. Um, you know, you, you, we don't make Caleb dress up, you know, in a, in a pilgrim outfit or anything, you know, to, to, you know, be excited about Thanksgiving. You know, then... Then there's this, there's this other thing that goes on when it comes to Thanksgiving, and I have to admit that in the past I have been a repeat offender, um, and that was that we start scrambling around for these Black Friday shopping deals, right? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I have seen people be camped out the night before. See, Chris is like, it's me, <laughs> you know? And people will brave the cold, they'll brave the rain, they'll have tents out there, you know. And and then the, the stores started doing things where they'd come out and say, well, we're actually going to walk down the line and hand out these little slips, you know, and you can only have one and all this stuff. And, man, I've been there, freezing cold, couldn't feel your fingers, standing there, the wind's blowing, the line's long, nothing's open, you're going, how are we going to go to the bathroom now? That was the only thing I was ever worried about. I mean, I'll just be honest, because, you know, we can survive the cold, you know, all that stuff, but you're like, hey, and if you're by yourself, you're just in trouble, you know? But while all of that stuff's going on, and really, a lot of times what we're doing is we're going to buy those Christmas presents that, let's be honest, two years later, you're selling in a yard sale, Okay. It's just a lot of times that's what that's what's happened. Or worse, if you're buying stuff for your kids, you you end up buying that Christmas present, and about 45 minutes after they've opened it, you see that toddler is playing with the box, and they're like, "Dad, cut a hole in the box. It's a fort." And you spent like you know $75 for what's in the box, and you could have gone to the local grocery store and picked up some cardboard boxes. And built a fort, and they probably would have been more excited about that. But that's a lot of what people are going to be doing at Thanksgiving. But the community of faith should be doing something different. And realistically, we ought to be doing something that's far different. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with shopping or football or, or eating turkey. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying, but the idea of, of Thanksgiving and the concept of Thanksgiving is, is what we want to talk about today. You see... There's a lot of people that during this next week, they're not going to find themselves being that thankful. It gets quiet when you start telling. 
a lot of people this week, they're not going to be thankful. They're, maybe they've uh, recently experienced a loss of a family member. Maybe they've recently lost a close friend. Maybe they got laid off from their job. Maybe they've been going through personal health issues. Uh, maybe you got bad news. Every week, every month, every church experiences in an ongoing fashion, things that maybe we would look at, that we would um, go through and say, how can you give thanks going through this? But what's the driver behind gratitude? What, what's the driver behind having a thankful spirit? Is it, is it based on temporary conditions? Is it based on temporary possessions? Is it based on what is even temporary circumstances? And we, we know the answer. We know the answer is, of course not. Of course it's not based on temporary things. But, but we also know that our human nature tends to gravitate toward those fleeting feelings of elation. How many of you, when you buy something new or when you get something new, I don't care if somebody gives it to you, how, how, you're happy? Let's just be honest. I mean, come on. I'll raise both hands. You know, you're happy. You just seen my wife when Ashlyn sent those you know, monogram things home that she could put on those, those cups, you know. She's like, whoa! She was excited. You know, something new is exciting. We get something and we're like, yeah, but, but just like kids, we act like adults are all that much different, right? But just like kids, before too long, we're going, well, now i got a car payment. It was awesome that first, you know, 29 days. On day 30, we're like, man, i got to pay for this now. We know, though, that our, our human nature gravitates toward that. We, we like the excitement that comes from external things. That's a problem, though, for people who are supposed to be followers of Christ. Because external things are not supposed to be the source of either our happiness nor of our sadness. Not Not truly. Even when we are experiencing moments of grief because of external loss, because of, of temporary setback, because of difficulties that come, that still is not supposed to keep us in an attitude of not being thankful and not being grateful because those things are going to come and go. You know, sometimes in life we're going to be up. Sometimes in life we're going to be down. Sometimes we're going to win. Sometimes we're going to lose. Sometimes things are going to go our way, sometimes they're not. And at some point in our lives, because we're human and because that we don't live forever in this physical body, but only in that which belongs to Christ, we're going to experience loss, we're going to experience pain, we're going to experience suffering. But God wants us to find the spirit of thankfulness to be something that's much deeper it's much permanent. It's much more self-sustaining. And so I want you to watch this video clip from one of my favorite movies, uh, Facing the Giants. I could have taken about any clip that I wanted to and, and really liked it. But I want, you to, I want you to watch this clip.
is my rock and my fortress, my deliverer, my God in whom I trust, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. Lord Jesus, would you help me? I need you. Lord, I feel like there's giants of fear and failure just staring down at me, waiting to crush me. And I don't know how to beat them, Lord. I'm tired of being afraid. Or if you want me to do something else, show me. If you don't want me to have children, so be it. But you're my God. You're on the throne. You can have my hopes and my dreams. Lord, give me something. Show me something. If the Lord never gives us children, will you still love him? What shall I render to the Lord for all his benefits to me? I'll lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. In the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The psalmist here took a very important approach. He stopped and he realized the tremendous benefits that God had provided for him. And the, the word in that first verse that's translated as benefit is actually used just this one time in Scripture. It's never used anywhere else. It's just used this once. Another translation of this word would be that he remembered the gracious acts of God. And so... We could almost translate this to be just in a simple sentence where he said, What will I give back to God because of all his gracious acts toward me? The psalmist lays out realistically a, a simple three-step plan, and this is what he says. I will reflect back upon the salvation that God has extended me. I will lift up the cup of salvation. We're going to talk about that. I will call upon the name of the Lord, and I will stay true to the vows that I have made during my life. I will fulfill my vows. Reflecting on salvation. Salvation is, I think sometimes we, we look at salvation just as being this process that gets us into something. It, it gets us into what God is doing, and, and then we're looking for, okay, now that I'm saved, what is God going to do for me? 
Now that I'm saved, what's God going to do in my life? Now that I'm saved, how is God going to bless me? Now that I'm saved, how is God going to provide for my finances? How is he going to provide for all these other things that I want and that I desire? And, And we treat salvation as if it is but a stepping stone to get us to something even more important. But the reality is that salvation is the, is the, very, it's the very essence, it's the, it's the very core of what God is, is doing in our lives because without it, it it's, not just, it's not a stepping stone. It's a thing that puts us in right position with Christ, through Christ, with God, so that therefore then God can bless us, but without it there is nothing. Without salvation, we are destined for an eternity in hell. Without salvation, we are destined to be separated away from God for all of eternity. Without salvation, we remain dead in our trespasses and sins, but yet the Word tells us that that God through Christ has made us alive. It's the process of salvation. Regeneration is what it often used to be called. People say you, you had to be regenerated in order to enter into salvation. What does that mean? You had to be taken from death to life. You had to be brought from something that was completely separated, cut off, darkness. Every potential thing you can see throughout the Bible that describes our condition apart from God. It says you've been taken out of darkness into his marvelous light. That which was dead has been brought to life. The old man has passed away. Behold, all things are made new. You've been raised to walk in newness of life. All of it, salvation is this magnificent process that I don't think that at times we stop and we thank God for. We thank God for giving us our house. We thank God for giving us some car, for some vehicle. We thank God for... And, and look, those are, we're blessed. Those are blessings that you have. But if you don't have those things, it doesn't mean you're not blessed. We, we Sometimes we mistakenly go, oh, look how blessed that person is. And then we look at somebody else that doesn't have those things. And then, okay, if this other person was blessed because they have them, what are you saying about the person that doesn't? They're not blessed. God doesn't love them. God, God is not blessing in their life. I've seen people that had very little in the way of material things, but their connection to God was so great. Their dependence on Him was so real. Their relationship to Him was so vibrant that it made, when I turn around and I look at the possessions or the things that I had, it made them pale in comparison because the blessing was in God. The blessing was not in the things out of His hands. And we have Americanized the gospel and the process of salvation so much that we encourage people, come to God so you can get blessed. Come to God so that God will take care of your job, so that God will take care of your home, so that God will take care of it, so that nothing will ever happen to your kids, so that nothing will... And that's what we, we look to God for what He will give us out of His hands when what he really gave us flowed out of his side and flowed out of his head and flow, because it was the blood of Jesus Christ that washed away our sins, that cleansed away all unrighteousness and filthiness of the flesh, and that presented us blameless and holy before God. No matter what else ever happens in our lifetime, salvation. Romans 5, 8 through 10 says, But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since, therefore, we have now been justified by His blood, much more shall we be saved by Him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, 
Listen to that. While we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. He says, man, when, when you guys were, when we were separated from God, when we were enemies against God, when we were resisting every bit of salvation that God was extending to us in Jesus Christ, He says, but yet through the actions of Jesus Christ, Reconciliation, that, that, that thing was taken care of. But we were still dead. We were still in. But the process, the problem was resolved in Jesus Christ. And then he extends the offer and he says, I want to call you to receive salvation. And then when we finally did that, he says, Oh, if you could be reconciled through what was happening then, then don't you surely believe that through his life, if his death provided this, then the magnificence of his life to return and to be raised from the dead, that's what we're going to be saved by. How about that? He doesn't say that we were saved by the death of Jesus Christ. In fact, what he says is we were reconciled to God by the death of his son. He says, but much more now that we're reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Ephesians 2 4 through 7 says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which He loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. And raised us up with Him, and seated us with Him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. God being rich in mercy. Sometimes we get so hung up on, you know, oh, God's got the cattle of a thousand hills. We think that actually is trying to tell us that there's like a thousand hills somewhere. It's got a bunch of cows on it. It's not. He's just drawing a picture for us. He's saying God has the resources. Now, now, lest you wonder, yes, God has the resources. Yes, God can bless us in our jobs. Yes, God can bless us in things that we need in our lives or that we will utilize for Him in our lives. Yes, God can bless us in our relationships. Yes, God can bless you in your finances. Yes, God can do all of these things. But His love, His grace, His mercy is not dependent on whether you are abundant in all of those things. It's just not. That's a distinction that has begun to happen for a long time now in the church world is, well, if you're, if, you're, if you're overflowing with finances and all this stuff. In fact, I read an article of a pastor up in, in the, the Northeast who actually made the statement and said, look at all of these things that I have. It is obviously a sign of God's blessing on my life. I thought, dear God. What about pastors in these other countries? What about leaders who have forsaken everything that they have? They're not blessed. They're reaching the lost. They're, they're reaching those with HIV. They're reaching those who are starving to death. They're in these countries where they're being bombed. all around. They're not blessed because they don't have a Rolls Royce. Because they don't have a mansion with a two-lane bowling alley downstairs. God is rich in mercy. I'm thankful that God has the cattle of a thousand hills, you know, figuratively. I'm, I'm glad that God has all these. I am so glad that He is rich in mercy. 
Because there are people all over this world who are rich in financial things. And they can give to you, and it might can make your life a little easier and all that, but they cannot extend to you the richness of the mercy of God that will change you for eternity. He said, even while we were dead in trespasses, He made us alive together with Christ. It's by grace that we've been saved. And He raised us up with Him. Listen to this. He says, you were, you were dead. When you're dead, where do they put you? In the ground. It's below the surface, right? Right? You're not on top of the ground anymore. You're below the ground. You're underground. That's what we thought. You're underground. Listen, what he... Man, this is, I, I, just, I, like, I like the word pictures that the Bible paints and makes us think about. It says, you know what? My death in my sins had me. I was below average. I was below the ground. I was below the surface. I was under the ground. I was, I was lower than the bottom of the barrel. I was what's on the bottom of the bottom of the barrel. Right? And he says, but he took. And through what Jesus Christ did... He made us alive, and then He raised us up with Christ. He took you from below the ground. He didn't put you on top of the ground. But he says that He has raised you up and seated you in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He took us not because we were worthy, not because we had something to offer, not because that we were, we were such great people, but in spite of all of our flaws, in spite of all the things that were wrong, in spite of all the stuff that we had ever done, it did not matter. His grace was powerful. He was rich in mercy, and the blood of Jesus Christ could wash away all of our sins, take us from beneath the ground, raise us up and set us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Why? He said, so that in the coming ages he could show the immeasurable riches of his grace. So he's rich in mercy because we deserve death, but instead he showed mercy and said, no, I, I, I'm not going to. You're not going to receive what you deserve. That's why often when I hear people say that, that, that they want justice to come on somebody or judgment to come on somebody, I'm going, man, none of us truly want justice or judgment. Not, not, not worldwide, we really don't. Because if it was, then we would receive what we deserve. And what we deserve on our own is death. What we deserve. But yet Jesus paid a price. And God imputes to us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so now we no longer receive what we deserve, but we receive what Jesus deserved. Because I, it's no longer, oh, this is good. It's not us who lives. Y'all often hear me say that. I quote that a lot. It's not us who lives. We've been crucified with Christ. The life that we live is not our own, but it's Christ that's living in us. So therefore, when God looks at us, He sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ and the inheritance that we will receive, the justice that will be received is because of Jesus and not because of us. And God looks, and even through all of our failures and our flaws, He says, but I see that you have been marked by my Son, Jesus Christ, as being His, and that the price has been paid for you, so what I will give to you is that you are now a joint heir with Jesus Christ. All because of salvation. In the coming ages, He's going to show the immeasurable riches of His grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7 says, But when the goodness 
and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Oh. When the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared. Who is that? What is that? I'm telling you that the goodness and the kindness of God, when it appeared, it appeared in a person. It wasn't some nebulous idea. It wasn't some, some foggy feeling. It was the very person of Jesus Christ that appeared. And here's what he says. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that being justified by His grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. My goodness, this is like eating one of them triple-layered chocolate cakes with fudge icing, and somebody poured some fudge on top of that, and you're drinking chocolate milk with it. It's rich. It's rich. When the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, He saved us. Those three words are beyond power. That's like setting off dynamite. He saved me. Not because of works that were done by me in righteousness, but according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, I was unclean. My life was dirty, but he took and he washed my sins away. And he said that happened through the Holy Spirit whom he poured out on us. Oh, you got it. This is not, I'm just, I'm just preaching scriptures now because that's not, I got to get back to my notes here in a minute, but, but this is just the scriptures. I, you, I, you need to get this visual image. You need to get this visual. You got you to gotta see you got to see yourself with the, 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 the dirtiness of your sin. All right, that, we need to be willing to see that. We need to be willing to look at ourselves and, and the, the, the things that we've gone through and experienced and the stuff that we've done. Not to look back, even honestly, not to even look back in shame. And all that. Uh, yes, it hurts our hearts, but, but God has freed us from those things. But we need to be willing to look back sometimes and see, I remember who I was. Because when we remember who we were, and then we begin to think about that he says that how he saved us was by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. So, so he's going to take and pour the Holy Spirit out on us to wash away our sins. And I like them because he said, whom he poured out on us richly. It's almost like, you know, if, if my, my, my grandparents, my, my grandmother used to have... Um, I don't know, probably about 20 years ago, there went uh, this big country craze, you know, hit back on all the, you know, and, and I mean, I mean, it was like everywhere, everywhere, kind of. And I, and I like, I like rustic cabin type stuff and all that, but I mean, it was like everybody had, and everybody was, uh, my dad was making these, these uh, old oil lamp holders. Y'all, you know, you probably, somebody in your family probably had one. We had a bunch of them, you know. And, and everybody was buying up the old oil lamps and stuff and filling them up. And we were even burning them in the house, you know, smoking some globes up and all that in a, in a hurry. And, but, but they had this old, the old wash basin. Had the, had, you know, you had the set. You know, you had the, see, she got one right now. You, you, had the, you had the jug that had the water and you had the basin and, and you would take. And, and especially if you had somebody to help, you know, if your hands were all dirty on it and somebody would just pour that water 
Well, we just don't think anything about running in just cutting on the water in the faucet anymore. But, but it's so much of a better visual when you think about that somebody held that water, that, that water pitcher, and you put your hands out there and they begin to pour that water out. And you just washed your hands and they became clean. That's the picture. We see all of the dirtiness of our sin. And God takes and pours out, he says, through the Holy Spirit, he richly pours out this water on us that begins to just wash away all of our sin and make it go away. And he says, so that now that we could be justified by his grace and we could become heirs. Man, if we could just see it. As the, 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 that the Holy Spirit just began to flow upon us. It, 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 let's just catch it again. But according to His own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, there's the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. The Holy Spirit is the one who draws us. He's the agent of salvation who draws us to Christ. But yet Christ is the one who paved the way because He said, unless I go away then the Holy Spirit can't come. The Comforter can't come unless I go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send one who's going to come back and he's going to minister to you. And when you receive him, you're going to receive power and you're going to be my witnesses. How can you be a witness of God's holiness? you got to be clean. How do you get clean? The Holy Spirit draws you to Jesus. Jesus then pours out the Holy Spirit on us and washes away our sins. And now we become witnesses of Jesus Christ. Salvation is not a small thing and it is not a stepping stone. Second Corinthians 9 verse 15. It's one of my favorite. It's a short scripture. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. So when we reflect on salvation, we've got to include some very simple realities. Number one, we were undeserving. I find that to be one of the most relieving things. And especially as one who, who uh, preaches the gospel of Jesus Christ, because we all ought to be ministers of the gospel, by the way. We're all a royal priesthood called under God to go and share this good news. The gospel simply is good news. But as one who is called to preach and to pastor, I'll tell you why I find that to be awesome. Because I can walk into any place with any group of people. I can walk into a prison. I can walk into any of these things. And I can say, I am no different than you are in the eyes of God. Because nothing that I have done or not done makes me better or worse than you. But Jesus Christ has paid the price because through the Holy Spirit washing and regenerating us, poured out richly on us through Jesus Christ, He wants to make us all become brothers and sisters, joint heirs with Jesus Christ. None of us were deserving. The second thing is His actions of grace took place essentially even while we were in sin. It's not that, well, you know, if you, if you were open to receiving Christ, then okay, then Christ dies. You know, while we were yet in sin, he died. And yes, the payment of the price that we owed cost Jesus shame. It cost him physical torture. It cost him humiliation. And it cost him the emotional weight of the sin of the entire world. And then we wonder why Jesus is in a garden. And he's going, dear God, if there is any way, let this cup pass from me. Don't make me drink from this cup. It was, it was the wrath. It was all of that. It was like he was being forced to take, and you need to get that cup thing, because you need to hang on with it. He was being forced to take that cup and drink of that cup and, and 
take it into himself. And then the psalmist comes back. And he says, what can I do? What can I give to God for all his benefits to me? He doesn't say, well, I'm going to lift up the cup of wrath that's, that's rightfully mine for my sin. And No, he says, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. Because that which I would have had to take and take into myself has been replaced with a cup. Remember, Jesus, Jesus sits in, in the Last Supper and as he, as he goes through the process of communion with them, he takes the cup and what does he say? He tells them, he says, here, drink. This is, this is to symbolize my blood. And this cup contains the new covenant. What new covenant? That now you can come through me because I have paid the price for you and you don't have to die. You don't have to make sacrifice anymore, but you can take and drink from the cup of salvation and receive life everlasting. Yes, thanks be unto God for the gift that cannot be described, and I will lift up this cup of salvation that was purchased for me at so great a cost. But then he said, I'm going to call upon his name. So I started looking at verses, Scripture, where he laid out that, that people would call upon the name of the Lord. 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 4 says, I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. Psalm 18 and 6, In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help from His temple. He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. Psalms 91, 14, and 15, Because he holds fast to me in love, this is God speaking of us, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. Can you imagine God speaking this to you directly? Because you hold fast to me in love, I'll deliver you. I'll protect you because you know my name. Now, y'all know I, I, I preached several months ago about through the names of, of God. Why is a name important? Because his name tells who he is. His name described his character and his nature. He says, you hold fast to me in love. I'm going to be honest with you. At times, I'm holding fast to God in, in pure desperation. I'm holding to God going, God, there is no other answer. There is no other way. It has to be you. There is nothing else. My only hope is in you. He says, when he calls, we've got to make it personal again. When you call to me, I will answer you. I'll be with you in trouble. Listen to that. He didn't say, I'm just going to snatch you up out of trouble. He said, but I will be with you in trouble. I will rescue you, and I will honor you.
To call upon the name of the Lord expresses our dependence on Him. You ever, you ever watched your kids when they're, um, they're trying to do something that's, that's maybe beyond their ability to do or maybe they just get so frustrated because they can't do it and, and you're kind of watching them. They're in the corner of the room or something. You're kind of seeing what they're doing, but you're just holding off, right? Come, I'm just going to let them. And then what happens finally? Mama! Yeah, we have a situation. <laughs> Clean up on aisle four. <laughs> but when they finally reach that point where they just realize they can't do it, and you've been sitting over there watching them, and they're getting frustrated, and they're then, Mama, Daddy, what do you need? Help. Come help me. What is, it? What is that? It's an admission of dependence. It's an admission of, I can't do this. I'm at the end of the rope. I've tied a knot and I'm hanging on, but I need help. When we say, he said, I, I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. I'm going to thank you for what you've done. And then I'm going to call upon your name. I'm going to admit my dependence on you. Gratitude and thankfulness build within us when we have a proper perspective that allows us to see ourselves in the right position and to see God in the right position. When we recognize and see that I am dependent on God, it is in Him that we live and we move and we have our being. See, we get convinced. We go, oh, I got this. Man, I'm alive. I got this thing. I got it. I got it handled. I got my, I got my job stuff good. I got my family stuff good. I got this. Remember the Bible talks about it, it says, be careful because pride goes before a fall. If we recognize that God, the infinite creator of all things, decided to bestow grace and mercy on us, not in a condescending manner. See, if it had been a condescending manner, then he would have said, you're my servants. Although we go, wait a minute now, doesn't the Bible talk about that we become bond slaves? Yes, but he also said that you become my children. You become my daughters. You become my sons. You get grafted into the vine. You become my children. It's not a condescending manner that he bestows grace and mercy and goes, oh, now look, look what I've done for you. See, that's the way we think. God did it because he loved us. Does he point us back to that the great thing that he has done? Absolutely. But not to be able to say, oh, look how you owe me but to be able to say, look how much I love you. What about paying our vows? Fulfilling the vows that we've made. Have you ever tried to negotiate with God? All right, let's be honest. Most of us have at some point tried to negotiate with God. Here, here's, here's the thing. Have you ever in the middle of a difficulty said to him, God, if you'll just get me out of this, then I will. You fill in the blank. Yeah? Been there, done that. By the way, that's a vow. That's a vow that you made to God. Mm. We may have promised many things. There's a lot of people, God, if you'll just do this, then I'm going to live my life a certain way. God, if you'll just do this, I'll start attending church faithfully. God, if you'll just do this, I'll change my attitude. God, if you'll just do this, I'll change the way I talk. 
God, if you'll just do this, I'll start serving other people more. God, if you just do this, I'll start giving them my time. I'll start giving them my talents. I'll start giving them my treasures. But in reality, most of us would have to admit that once the problem went away, once the circumstances changed, we reneged on that vow that we made to God. The Bible at one point tells about says it's better to have never made a vow than to make a vow and break it. Because God is not, we go, wait, 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 what, what do you, God's not one who goes, oh yeah, I knew you were just kind of, you know, in the middle of some difficulty and I didn't really take you seriously to begin with. Number one, he's not negotiating with you. You got to have, you got to have something, you got to have some level of power, some leverage in order to negotiate. Look, I mean, if somebody comes up to you and says, hey, I want to buy your house. You go, okay, what you want to offer? Ten dollars. Dude, you can get to stepping. <laughs> well, now, you don't want me to leave. You don't want me to leave, or I'll take this offer off the table. All right, look, you've got no leverage. I mean, you, this is not a negotiation. This is not a negotiation. Yeah, you can go ahead and leave anytime you want. I'm going in the house, and I'm locking the door, by the way. Don't come around the back. Dog's going to bite you, you know. <laughs> don't. You think you're negotiating? You're not negotiating. you got nothing to offer. We sometimes look at God in the middle of our situation. God, if you, as if God was sitting here going, oh, I just, oh, I just so wish that you, would, that you would just serve me because I so need you to serve me. I'm in desperate need of you using your talents. I'm in desperate need of, of uh, I need your attention. R-E-S-P-E-C-T. That's what I need. I need it from you. I need a little respect. Oh, okay, all right. Keep it right there. God's not doing that. That is not where God is. He's not standing there going, please, 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 please. He's going, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come unto me, though you have no money. You can buy from me. You can... The psalmist realized, though, after reflecting on God's gracious acts, that he needed to demonstrate honor and integrity in fulfilling the vows that he had made to God. But even more importantly, I want you to see something about this. Twice, he actually says the same thing. Verse 14, he actually says, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. I made a personal vow, but I'm going to pay it in the presence of of all of God's people. Verse 18, I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. And verse 19, in the courts of the house of the Lord in your midst, O Jerusalem. He got very specific. <laughs> he realized I need to fulfill the vows that I promised God in private. I need to do so publicly. Why? As many of you guys know, if you put a commitment before other people, it creates accountability. Not only does it create an accountability with our brothers and sisters in Christ, but it gives them an opportunity to come alongside us and to help us faithfully fulfill our vows to God. I think oftentimes, we, God's not right here in the physical with us, okay? 
So when we promise God something, God, if you just get me out of this, I'll do this. And then when all of a sudden it, it passes, maybe you maybe you you keep your job, or maybe that 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 report from the doctor comes back and it's not as bad as you thought it was going to be, or whatever it is that happens, something changes, and, and then you go, ah, oh, hey, well, you know, it kind of took care of itself. But wait a minute, I, I made a promise to God. I said, God, if you'll do this, then I'll change my life. God, if you'll do this, then I'll let you use me in this way. God, if you'll do this, I'll quit being so focused on this or that or whatever it is. But you know what we don't do? We don't tell anybody else. Because in our minds, we're convinced that, well, God's the only one that knows. and It's not like he's standing here telling anybody. Dude, really? <laughs> really? We. I'm less worried about telling you something and not doing it than I am about telling God something. And then go, well, I mean, but he's not here, you know, saying, hey. No, he's just going to be the one that we all stand before in the end. And we go, wait a minute, though, but, but I'm saved. And yes, absolutely. But, I, I, man, I don't want to stand before God and God say, you remember that time when you were in the middle of this, and you said to me, God, if this thing passes and it's not life-ending, God, if this thing passes and it's not this, God, if this happens and it's not that, then I'm going to do this. Now, I wasn't negotiating with you, but I'm willing to take your promise. I'm willing to take your commitment. Because I was wanting that from you the whole time. I was wanting you to surrender your life. I was wanting you to get unfocused off of this and focused on me. And you made a promise to do that. I said it here within the last two weeks. I think this is one of the main reasons why that the Bible says that he's going to wipe away the tears. Because I think at that moment we're going to realize I made a promise to the God of the universe. God, I'm going to do this. And then I just... Went back on it, and I didn't do it. The psalmist says, when I stop and I think about these things, when I think about all the gracious acts that God has done, I lift up the cup of salvation. I call upon the name of the Lord, and I will fulfill my vows. I'm going to do what I said, because why? Because I think back on the gracious acts that God has done in my life. James 5.16 sums this up in why I think that, that the psalmist, even though the psalmist is writing in the Old Testament and James is over here writing in the New Testament, the thread of truth remains through the two. James 5.16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. What's he saying? Look, if I've made confession, if I, or if I have made a promise to God, if I've made a, a vow to God and said, this is what I'm going to do, you know what you need to do? I'm just telling you, this is what James says. You need to find somebody that you trust in Christ, and you need to go to them. After you've gone to, to, to Christ first, we need to go to God and say, God, I remember that I made a vow to you. I said I would do this thing. And in fact, God, I want you to bring to my remembrance Things that I told you and said, God, I'll let you use me this way. God, I'll let you use me like this. God, I want you to do these things. And, and, and I made those commitments to you. 
Maybe you weren't even negotiating. Maybe it's just in a moment that you came before God and God had broken your heart and God had brought you to a point of, of openness and you said, yes, God, I want you to use me and use me like this. And then once you got past that and realized what the sacrifice would be, you kind of, well, maybe, you know, well, if God sends someone to directly tell me that I need to start doing this, then I'll do it because I'm, I'm willing. But we didn't tell anybody, right? You know, so nobody, you know, he's just waiting on God to come make you do what you said. God, I'm going to go do this. I think if we go to God and we say, Father, I want you to remind me. Any vow that I've made to you, I want you to bring it to my remembrance. And then what I honestly, truly believe that James 5 is telling us to do is we need to go to someone that we believe and trust in within the body of Christ that we believe to be mature, and we're going to say, hey, I need you to come alongside me in this. I made a vow to God that I was going to do this. And I did that 10 years ago when I went through, and I've not been faithful in that, but I'm determined that I'm going to honor this vow that I've made to God. I'm going to lift up the cup of salvation. I'm going to call upon the name of the Lord and admit my dependence on Him to do this, but I'm going to fulfill my vow. I want you to help me. I want you to help pray for me. I want you to help me. I want you to ask me on a regular basis, on a weekly basis. I want you to be asking me, hey, how are you doing on this? I want you to encourage me because I want to confess my faults one another and pray for one another that we can be healed. Because when there's an unfulfilled vow in our lives, honestly, that is that's like a debt that hasn't been paid. When was the last time you reflected on the vows you made to God over the years, confessed to God your slackness in keeping those? prayed with someone in belief for healing and then encouraged each other in keeping your vows. When's the last time that you celebrated your salvation? I pray that this week I pray blessings on your family gatherings. Whoever's there that you as the representatives of the body of Christ. I pray that there's an, a gratefulness in you. I pray there's an attitude of thankfulness. Not because you look at your house, not because you look at your vehicles, not because you look at your job, not because you even look at your health, not because, but because you look and see what God has done.